You're listening to No Dice, No Problem, a new monthly Asians represent variety show hosted by Drew Kwan and me, Daniel Kwan, on the One Shot Podcast Network. Check out uncut video and other exclusive content at patreon.com slash AZNS represent. Dude, I'm, I'm so, I'm so burnt out. Like, I know I say that a lot, but now I genuinely feel burnt out. Like, I have no motivation to do the work that, like, not my day job, but, like, the extracurricular work that I really love. Like, working on my, like, game design stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I have just been, I have lacked complete motivation to, to do anything. And I have just been running off fumes. Yeah. So tired so tired and like this past weekend was fucking brutal did you see that did you see that tweet i put out no no hold on oh it's okay so it's a couple a couple tweets ago no they're basically so sarah and i went to uh, a wedding in minden which is like three hours north of toronto yeah um so it's like small town ontario okay. and uh sarah was a bridesmaid and uh so we went up for like three days in a cabin it was really nice and the day of the wedding i'm like shuttling all of the bridesmaids around and helping them because it was raining on and off um and the wedding was at the bride's cottage on like the lake and it was like really beautiful um and so like we have to park our cars on the side of the road i park my car and Sarah and one of the other bridesmaids, they they went in ahead of me. As I'm leaving the car, I see another car with this. <laughs> yeah, is this what it is? It. I see yeah, it. with a sticker on it that says "Treason Trudeau China." So Trudeau is our our current prime minister. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see that, and I'm like, "Fuck!" Like I did not think that I was going to have to deal with racism within it's not even like the wedding party but here's the thing i a part of me was like oh this is gonna be great like sarah's sarah's friend who is the bride is like you know very sort of like progressive um and like it was a very diverse wedding party i had there was no signs that like i should be worried sure i see that and i'm like fuck me and then somebody's walks out of the the forest out of this dirt road in like a <laughs> okay. suit and i'm like and I'm like, oh, this is like one of the, the groomsmen. And he beeps his car that I'm looking at after I've snapped a couple of pictures of it. And he's just like old white dude. And he just reeks of booze. He's already like red in the face. We haven't even gone to the ceremony yet, Drew. And me being like this fucking like, I just want to like fight everybody. I look him dead in the eyes and this guy's like, Hard to tell how old he is. I don't know. I can't tell how old he's old ancient. Are. He's ancient. Yeah, right. I look him dead in the eye and I'm like, "Nice sticker, man." And he looks at me. He goes, "Thanks." And then I just keep walking. And I'm like, "Why did Why did I do that? Why would you do and this?" So, I, so that I basically go and I start sending all my friends like pictures of his license plate and the car, in like in case I disappear. And I start walking down this dirt road. And I see another groomsman, and his pants are half down. He's got a can of beer that he's finishing up, and he literally crushes it. Another white guy, younger though, 
and he's like trying to put his pants back on. I'm like, this guy have to take his pants off to drink a beer. Wait, did they both come out of the same area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah maybe. Yeah. Mm. Listen. Yeah. But like, I walk in. I'm like, I guess I'm here for the wedding, and we go, and I realize that like the grooms sort of side of the family and his groomsmen are all of the same sort of, you know, persuasion. And I stand there super awkwardly the entire time this happens. And I'm like, I gotta get the fuck out of here, but I can't because Sarah's in the wedding Mm -hmm. party. Yeah. Yeah. So ceremony is beautiful. There are jet skis on the lake. Like just other people at their cottages with jet skis. Having a grand um, old time. Yeah. Having a grand old time. And uh, it was actually really interesting because the um, the bride, she she is uh, indigenous. And I'd never seen uh, like a, an indigenous wedding before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was actually really cool. Um, learned a lot. But we get out of there and I'm just like, I just I don't want to be here, but we can't leave. We can't leave early because Sarah's got to, you know, be there for a sure, and yeah. stuff, and she's got duties um, at the dinner. Sarah has to sit with the wedding party. So I'm seated alone. I'm so I'm flying solo. Mm, the best the best thing and to do. I'm just like, this sure. is going to be rough. Yeah. And I happen to sit across from this like he was 20 and he was the cousin of the bride and he was really nice and he was actually really interested in China. Um, his best friend is Chinese. And he had sure. questions about China. Sure. And we were talking. And he, his first question to me was, oh, because I, I had overheard him talking about how he's in university mm-hmm. uh, and how he wanted to uh, become a teacher. So I asked him, oh, like, what, what school are you at? What are you studying? What do you want to teach? And he was like, oh, yeah, history and stuff. He's like, what year are you in? What year are you in? Yeah, he asked me, what year are you in? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm 33 years old. <laughs> well, I guess I could still be in school, but oh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, nah, yeah. nah, I, I, I'm, I'm out of school. And he was just like, Keska say what? Keska fuck, what the hell? Keska fuck. <laughs> and, I was, and yeah, and we had a pleasant conversation. His dad was sitting next to him and asked me, he was like, oh, his dad asked, oh, are you here alone too? Like, um, not too, are you here alone? I'm like, no, no, no. Uh, my, I was like, I'm not going to say partner because I don't want to confuse anybody here. So I'm like, my girlfriend is in the like, yeah, the you don't want to use any words that are too big and foreign for them. Yeah, 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 I yeah, understand. right. Especially I if there it. are people who don't like China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Chinada. I, Chinada, um, we'll talk about the mayoral election here in a minute. In a minute. <laughs> oh, but fun. I, I turn and point to the head table. I'm like, yeah, yeah, my, my girlfriend is in the uh, the the wedding party. And so. Sarah was seated second from the right. There's a white guy, Sarah, Asian, Asian woman, black woman, white woman, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, my girlfriend is the one over there, second from the right. And this guy dead ass looks me in the eyes and said, which one? The colored one? <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> I, no, Sarah is the the white woman right there, second from the right. Yeah, second from the right. Which second from the right? And his son, who was talking to me, was just, you could tell he was just so embarrassed by his father. Yeah, yeah. 
and he was just like, why does that matter, dad? And I was like, no, no, that that's her. Um, and it was just so that that was like awkward, but like kind of weird. And then that groomsman that I had saw with his like pants half down harassed me the entire night. Really? Yeah. Every time he came by me, he would like grab me, like hold on to my shoulders or like touch me and like play weird pranks on me. Why? Like this dude just kept like grabbing me. And I'm like, are, are we going to like, am I going to throw hands? Like, like, what is the situation between us right now? And this guy just kept touching me and like trying to play weird pranks on me. And I was like, if I like cause a scene now, not going to be good, mm-hmm. but I want to. So, so desperately want to cause a scene. <laughs> good and job. I just let it happen. This this wedding fucking sucked and i was like on guard the entire weekend it sucked and then you know the day sunday when we left wildfires were happening nearby in in bancroft and you know smoke everywhere air quality sucked i'm just like it's the apocalypse i need to get out of here it's uh it's finally down here in uh in st louis yeah and so awful wedding i mean ceremony is beautiful and all that but i had a terrible time and i am and i think that really contributed to my burnout because i am just exhausted yeah it's the last it's the last little straw everywhere every i have gone to small town ontario twice this year and both times i have directly encountered a racist like the last time i was there we were at a funeral for sarah's family yeah in uh, arn Pryor, which is like 45 minutes outside of ottawa and a dude straight up does the Asian eyes at me, looks at me. Yeah, straight up Asian eyes at me. And I, I, yeah, you know, so when I, yeah. uh, God, I always remember. I, when, I'm exhausted. Yeah. It's exhausting. When I started working at, uh, the historic Daniel Boone home here in Missouri, that yeah. was like, okay, so I started in 2019 and that is when, like, the number of personal uh, experiences, especially with racism or like really a lot more overt racism, just started like skyrocketing because it's way out there in rural, uh, rural county, you know, and uh, just lots of lots of random shit like that, for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially. Oh, yeah. God, once COVID hit. <laughs> oh, what a treat. Oh, I mean, and, and this like. And at the wedding, there was like a games room because it was at like this re- resort by the lake and everything. And there was like a games room. And Sarah was like, maybe we don't have to, you know, be around. Also, this DJ, the music was like oppressively loud. Like so loud. Um, Sarah was like, hey, why don't we just like go to the games room? Don't need to be near these people. We can go play ping pong. And I'm like, because they had table tennis there. And I'm like, Sarah, I'm not going to be the only Asian guy at this wedding. And you're playing ping pong? Play ping pong. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. You got to hold it the upside down way too. Just like, and and Sarah was like, shit, I didn't even think about that. I'm like, because you don't have to, it's okay, but we're not going to play ping pong. Let's, let's play, let's play pool. Yeah, That's what I immediately thought about when you said ping pong. I was like, I'm not going to be the only Asian guy at the wedding. As much as I want to, I'm not going to. Because you're Um, you're trapped. If you're playing ping pong, you you can't be the best. Because you're fulfilling the stereotype. But if you're the worst, 
it's also bad like you can't there's it's no also winning. bad there's no winning and then if i start playing everybody's gonna want to play yeah like against me or learn from me and i'm just like no no yeah oh look so, you know chinaman uh, ping pong let's go like yeah like i and sarah sarah i i think sarah felt bad when i explained and i was like you don't have to feel bad like you don't have to think about that sort of thing like it's not something yeah, you have to think about. yeah um and she's usually like really good about thinking about that stuff and i was like this is like a weird situation that you you never expected to be in and you never expected to put me in so it's totally okay it's not your fault um but yeah it really sucked (laughs) it really sucked and i am i am fucking tired yeah i'm tired um but hey you know uh i got some good reading in and i got a new ttrpg (laughs) oh yeah when i came back i got a I got Reach of the Roach God. Um, oh, that's an interesting book cover. Is so cool. Um, so it's a, a on the uh, intro to the OSR episode, we talked about like Thousand Thousand Islands. Mm-hmm. Um, and Reach of the Roach God is um, it's an adventure setting uh, set in like a world of caves. And it is a part of this like Southeast Asian inspired fantasy world um, that this incredible writer who I really want to have actually on the podcast, um, ZX Sue and the artist Munkow have been working on. Mm-hmm. This is my first time owning like a physical copy of their work. And dude, it is beautiful. It's unlike really anything I, I have ever seen before. What's it um, called? It's an, ad- it's called, it's called reach of the roach God. And the art is, as usual, stunning. It's minimalistic, thought-provoking. Like, I want to run this as an adventure. Um, because this is just, like, the kind of fantasy world that I've never experienced. And you know, with, like, all the, the discourse surrounding, like, cultural consultants and how cultural consultants are Band-Aids and stuff? Yeah, I, I, of- I am very briefly understanding that there is some discourse right now. Right. And and I think the big thing is that like cultural consultants should not be an excuse to not should, shouldn't be an excuse to not have actual <clears throat> marginalized creators write about their own cultures. Yes, that's correct. And which is why like Reach of the Roach God is like super cool to me. I it's like new. It's different. The production value is just so high. Yeah. Like there's this piece of art. And it's just called Roach Infiltration. Hopefully my camera focuses. Um, If it doesn't, it's basically this person who is like standing before uh, another kneeling person. But the person standing has the legs and carapace of a cockroach coming out of their back as if it's like a disguise. Mm -hmm. It is so cool. And I have never wanted to run a pre-written adventure more than Roach Boys. Roach boys. Um, but yeah, I am really high on Thousand Thousand Islands. And now that I have a physical copy, um, I'm super stoked to actually run it. And I'm getting tons of ideas about like my own work. It's like, such how a... do I want to communicate the locations in our own home home game. Right? Yeah, it's such an interesting like visual design, at least from the cover. Because yeah. it, because it's that like sort of plain mustard yellow background. That's, I think, very evocative of like 
19th and even like some 20th century like novels and stuff like you know yeah. you go to an old bookstore and you see like all these old books right it's got that sort of like old occult esoteric vibe you know 100% and then the pages aren't even the pages aren't like jammed with like text and like mm-hmm. like a and d book might be it's just it's just enough information to inspire you and guide you through this narrative i i'm really keen on running this roach boys you. i i just super high on it so that was like the highlight of like returning back yeah from this really really awful wedding experience to have that in the mail so i was like needed that but needless to say i am i am so burnt out um and i know you've been like working a lot too and the air quality was is really bad where you are right now yeah it breached today into whatever the air index is like 160 i think it's like 130 to 160 is hazardous for sensitive breathers right i think which is what i am anyways um and then 160 is just hazardous to everyone you know yeah it's not immediately dangerous but you will after some prolonged period of being out in it suffer some uh at least short-term difficulties uh, i believe it was like that it was close to 160 on the sunday when we left yeah it was it's 160 here uh and it's uh yeah it's a lot of a lot of haze it's i mean some of it looked like a fog bank you know yeah like yeah uh so that was interesting because i did not know ahead of time that we were supposed to get all this like smoke and so i was driving to work and i was like what the fuck is going on good god (laughs) it's all coming down from canada oh my god it smells like maple and burnt moose burnt moose burnt moose (laughs) that's that's quite the choice of words yeah quite the choice of words don't smell very good yeah yeah now i want to eat moose moose is very tasty um but yeah air quality sucks it just means that we're staying in more um staying in maybe reading ttrpgs maybe reading books probably being hypocrites and playing diablo 4 yeah you know well in terms when it comes to air quality it doesn't stop me because my job still functions like that's true that's true and and, hey fingers crossed you get that other one Uh, ah god it'd be nice you know when do you when do you find out no no idea no idea Ugh, yeah the waiting it's just sucks. it's just it's just the waiting game and i've had like people uh who have talked about like it took them six months to get back to them to tell them no mm. you know so you know god they, that's a long time to wait yeah the art museum's a, a behemoth that runs very slowly sometimes uh, but I'm excited well, for the prospect, and I hope I get this job because it pays very well. It pays very well. That would it would be a life changing and I got great benefits. Career shift for you, great yeah, benefits, dude. I I want nothing more than for you to get that yeah. selfishly because that means that we'll be able to see each other. Yeah, April, and they have a pension. Can you imagine a pension in this economy? Dude. Yeah, I'll fucking dude. stay there for fifty years. I'm gonna fuck like <laughs> you know. <laughs> Dude, I I I hope you get it. I'm manifesting this job for you. Um, I yeah, I just want the best for for just all to of my hope friends. And, you dude. Know. And also, like speaking of you know, like 
seeing each other. Mm-hmm. Big bad con. Big bad con. Listen, so so I'm we so are, excited. We are we are committed. We are committed to uh-huh. it's so our room right now. It's it's you, Emma, and I. Yes, I'm gonna book flights um, soon. I think this week I'm gonna book flights, and then I'll book the hotel, and then okay. down the line we can sort out sure like money and stuff like that. Um, but I'm really excited. I'm so excited for us to like just go to a con, feel safe. I, and I know you, you've been like um, the COVID fear and the masking is, is less a part of your life just because you know, of the, you know, where you live and where Saint, you work. St. Louis by and large gave up in like 2021. Uh, uh, <laughs> the vaccine initially came out and everyone yeah. went, all right, peace to all the covid uh scare yeah, give me that <laughs> vaccine yeah I'm, I'm back yeah everything's back to normal and like you know i you know even when the things were changing i was still not skeptical but precautious and i i still wore my mask and stuff yeah but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna act as if it didn't grind me down and now it's just i you know i just i just do my thing at this point Fair. Yeah. I'm just excited because I, I know there are a lot of people who I have haven't seen in years mm-hmm. will be at that con or who like I am good friends with, but have never met in person. Yep. Like I, I cannot wait. Like I like I'm excited that I get to finally meet Jackie in person. <gasps> like I talk to Jackie like wait, almost every is day. Is Jackie going? Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Going. Like I've never, I talk to Jackie like almost every day. Yeah. Shout out Death by Mage. Shout uh, out I to, talk Jackie. to Jackie almost every day, and I have never met Jackie in person. Jackie's the best. Like, I've never met Liana in person, and I believe Liana's going too. Yep. Um, I have seen Agatha and Steve a combined total of four times in the past three years, mm-hmm. and for a total of maybe an hour. You know if like, do you know if Jeremy's going or is Jeremy already across? No, Jeremy's going to be in the UK. Yeah, he's already going to be in the UK then. by that point. Yeah, I don't think Jeremy's Damn. going. But if Jeremy's in the UK, that means that maybe in the future we can go to. The we UK. go, yeah, yeah. We go to the UK and do a con there. Yeah, we go to the UK. We bring them porcelain. We start this huge craze. You know, Daniel and change Drew the go to Warhammer World. <laughs> you and I have two very different thoughts. I made a historical we, joke. You went straight to Warhammer. <laughs> Oh, I wasn't even listening to you. I was just thinking, oh, dude, we can go. We can go to the Warhammer <laughs> world. <laughs> but I, I wanted to tell you this because speaking of Big Bad Con, because in this whole like Twitter, f- f- you know, continuing to spiral, um, I have been kind of exploring other social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been using Blue Sky. Not sure how I feel about it um, until like, more people are on it and i've got to send you a code when i get one um i've been doing that and then i've been back to mastodon because i'm on dice camp that server okay and i didn't realize i had all of these notifications and somebody had actually um shout out to michael phillips who sent me a whole bunch of messages about ndnp <laughs> it called you out drew wait what called me out for what it called you out uh, about the the dice episode what about it um, <laughs> um michael phillips says i have to disagree with drew especially since he buys cheap minis <laughs> and you need more minis than you do dice um i have more minis than i would ever need or want 
Um, so basically calling you out for saying, hey, don't buy cheap dice, buy nice dice when you buy cheap minis. Yeah, because those minis are useful. Is extra cheap dice useful? No. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe we'll have to do a Good day, uh, sir. Like you can try we'll, your we'll best. Have to do a, a spirited debate uh, about the merits of cheap dice. Listen, unless Chessex wants to sponsor this podcast. Oh, yeah. If, we, will, we will turn. We'll, we'll turn our we'll turn so our fast. whole tune. You know, we have we have no balls. Um, um, we'll turn our tune my- faster than a failed Hollywood actor. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like God. like you don't need you. Listen. I respect buying dice. I respect buying Chessex dice. It's mm-hmm. just that at, at a certain point, you cross the invisible line of you don't need more of these. But yes, maybe you do need a couple of skeletons and you don't want to pay GW 50 bucks for like three dudes. You just want to buy some shitty Reaper minis. Listen, Reaper, your minis aren't shitty. Reaper's great. Reaper's great. Again, but they're like the chess X of minis. <laughs> they are the chess X of minis. That's of minis. Right. But but they fundamentally have more use. They have more potential. A D20 does not matter what color it is, but there is a difference between a skeleton mini and a minotaur mini. You know, like that's that's fair. Like as somebody who also has lots and lots of minis of various quality, I definitely understand. Um Shout out to HeroForge. They just sent me uh, a color printout of the mini I designed for API Heritage Month. Yeah. I was not expecting it. Cool. Showed up in the mail. I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I designed that. I did really that. Cool. I, have, I have no idea how that process works. Like, how do you 3D print in color? Like, how do you do that with like shades and everything? Um, no idea. Care- carefully? I don't know. They, they don't sponsor the show, but I'm just... But they could. It's incredible. It's incredible. It looks better than like most paint jobs so like if you if you if you're not into like painting and you want something that looks battlefield ready as as they say in the wargaming community like geez that looks good yeah um but uh but michael sent me a whole bunch of messages and also sent me some messages about the uh the bathroom episode (laughs) about the bathroom episode Uh um yeah and he said, and they said, I have actually listened to a podcast that was recorded at a convention in the bathroom. It was not a good episode of that podcast. And I don't know about the conventions you have attended, but I've never attended a convention, big or small, where there was a bathroom that no one used. Listen, there's always fewer bathrooms the population needs. I'm not pretending that it's going to be a good episode. I don't have right. delusions of grandeur. I just think it'd be funny. I, kind of, I just I think I it'd be funny, too. Funny. I think it'd be funny, too. I I want us to record at least three episodes of the podcast. Yeah, it's time. easy. Three episodes. And I want us to do one in the lobby. I would love for us to do one in a vehicle of sorts, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, um, with the fact that we will be not in our own areas. Unless we know somebody local who drove to the con. That is fair. Yeah, that's true. Um, maybe can we just pay an Uber a lot of money <laughs> just to just to drive just, us around while we record? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I would I want us to do a, a lobby one. I'm gonna get like I think we can record most of the video on phone, um, and then I have like a, a nice audio like a remote audio setup, 
and we'll just like sync them all up. If we can finagle it, be, a hot tub episode. Hot tub episode. It would be hilarious. There is a pool at the hotel. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I want us to record a lot of the podcast there. Um, who knows what we'll talk about, but I think it will be funny to kind of have us at the con chilling and then just have people we know uh, alumni of asians representing even new friends of asians represent kind of a you know appear and become guests of that episode where we have like 20 guests in one episode i think that could be really funny um i think it'd be real good but yeah we'll 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 see um we'll we'll see when when the time comes uh but i sent you a link uh-huh and I wanted to, I, I should have said it to you earlier, but I saw this when I was uh, hiding in the cabin at the, uh, at the wedding. I was basically just like, oh, I'm not going to go outside. I'm just going to sit here, read books, and just scroll through social media. And I found this article on Smithsonian Magazine. Um, and it was published like, you know, like last week, exactly a week ago. And they talked about how these archaeologists found a 3,000-year-old sword um, that is in pristine condition. Yo, that is unreasonably well-preserved. Yeah, in pristine condition. Um, I'll put the link It's to not the just that. Look at the, the arrowheads to the left of it. Oh, yeah. Like, in, in the initial picture, you can see... Now, the people not sure didn't if, preserve so well. No, definitely not. But, but the arrowheads... They, they tried. Definitely. Those... <laughs> like, those bronze arrowheads are well preserved, but also like it looks to be there. It looks like there's some ivory near the pommel of the sword um, or something, but it's a bronze age sword. It's about 3000 years old. It's a short um, short sword, short. And it's uh, it's from a grave. So these I mean, the arrowheads definitely weren't used in battle. Yeah. Um, but it was in Bavaria. And dude, this sword looks beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Like the the treatment to the the hilt is incredible. Like the the engraving on it, gorgeous. Um I know we originally wanted to talk about the uh the Tomb Raider TTRPG. Oh, yeah. But like I'm like I've just been thinking about that a lot. Like I I never read it um for for context uh folks the um there is an official tomb raider tabletop rpg and campaign that crystal dynamics uh who i believe currently has a license to it uh published Mm -hmm. and it's like the the gm is like the raid master interesting i didn't realize you were an azeroth yeah and it's just i've been thinking about archaeology ttrpgs and archaeology stories and then seeing this article about this sword really kind of like inspired. Me. That's a magic sword. This is a magic sword. That's a magic sword. For for sure. Um, I realized that this is a really cool adventure in the making. Right? This could be, you know, uh, a modern one, or this could be, you know, like a like a your classic historical fantasy. I I wanted to ask you about portrayals of archaeology in fiction but also in ttrpgs like if you were to incorporate archaeology into a tabletop rpg actual play home game whatever how would you do it 
I think first you it have could be, to. Okay, I'll set more parameters. Sure. Sorry. No, you're fine. Uh, it could be in your character or it could be in the overall plot. You know, I think it has. I think first you have to establish what you're wanting to show, like what you're wanting to illustrate. And that is, are you wanting to illustrate the past or are you wanting to illustrate the present? And what I mean by that is, um, you know, there was plenty of archaeology done in the 19th century, for instance, mm. in the 18th and 19th century. However, um, those often those archaeological efforts across the world often didn't show so much about the past as it truly was, but rather about the ideolo- ideologies and philosophy of the present. You know, so, for instance, okay. using like archaeology and using excavations as and what they found as evidence to help build a case for racism or for, yeah. you know, you know, slavery being a good thing or whatever, you know, and to to quote unquote prove that these races are are inferior to us. And that is why white imperialism and colonialism should uh like craniometrics. Yeah, yeah. Craniometrics, yeah. you know, phrenology. I think phrenology, right, is phrenology. Yeah, that. So you could use archaeology to illustrate a dogma of the present. 100%. So if you wanted to do that, for instance, if you have a setting where you are uh, in a world that is predominantly made up of or, or ruled over by a theocracy, you know, it could be a world, it could be just one nation or whatever that relies on a dogma and a presupposed path uh, past and so therefore, archaeological efforts are always done with the presumption that those things are true. And you can sh- use that to illustrate how uh, an organization in power, religious or not, may twist the past to suit its own needs. You know, or you could use it to illustrate previous history, you know, you know, the past, um, um, you know, m- empires, things like that. Uh, that may yeah. have existed. So I guess I you, to, to simplify what I'm saying, you know, do you want it? Do you want to illustrate the past with archaeology or illustrate the present? Yeah, you know, I mean, a really great example of that. And it's not even fantasy is the contemporary. The differences in contemporary archaeological like practice. Sure. Right. Like you and I are trained in Western archaeological mm-hmm. practice. It's very like scientific. Sure. Right. A lot of people think, oh, well, it's like history. No, no, no. It's like very scientific. It's all the scientific method and, and everything like that. But having practiced archaeology in other countries, I have come to learn that it is very different all over the world, mm-hmm. particularly in Japan and China, where post World War II uh, archaeology is very much rooted in nationalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, in China, it's very much seen as a tool that is used to validate the unique nature of what is Chinese identity, mm-hmm. right? So to, to build on what you said, you could have an entire um, like kingdom or faction in your fantasy world led by, like in my world, like the, the queen of, of UA yep, in my world yep. is like into the past, into books uses scholarship to basically um, reinforce sort of like national identity, 
patriotism and stuff like that. But in China, it's all about proving how unique China is compared to the rest of the world. Um, and they kind of also do that in a cultural historical way where historical texts are seen as basically uh, empirical evidence of the past. Yes. Uh, so one of the, the best examples of this is the Xia dynasty. Uh, so uh, in traditional sort of Chinese historiography, uh, the first dynasty in China is the Xia dynasty. Western archaeology uh, and some, you know, like younger Chinese archaeologists would say that now the first um, dynasty in China's very, very long history was the Shang dynasty. Uh, reason being is because we have early oracle bone inscriptions, so a written record dating to the Shang, mm -hmm. but nothing associated with the Xia. And the only reason why we know about the, the Xia is because it's described in classical texts, like the you know, records of the grand historian and stuff like that. But these are all texts that were sort of written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But Chinese scholars have basically taken this as like truth. And so when they find sort of state level societies that predate the Shang, they may attribute them to the Xia. And there is a, a culture called the early Doe culture that is often uh, sort of associated with the Xia dynasty, regardless of any substantial evidence saying we are the Xia people. Mm -hmm. And I think you could do that in your fantasy world. You could have an entire faction of people, scholars, who have these ancient texts and are treating them as truth. And they are twisting these discoveries. Yeah, so I think a good way to look at it uh, as well is, um, you know, when, when when with my job doing so many programs that are mm. uh, historic education and interpretation, uh, one of the biggest things that we are, I think, taught to ask of ourselves and of what we're doing is why. OK, you want to add this to the program? Why? What purpose is it serving? Mm -hmm. And so as world builders or as game runners, you know, it doesn't really matter um, when you want. If you want to put archaeology into your setting, why? Why is it there? Or from the perspective of like a state run archaeology, why? Why is yeah, what, the state what, running? What value it? does that faction mm -hmm. bring and to your narrative, but also the composition yeah, of your world? You can essentially break it up into two categories or two reasonings of data or dogma. Is it to, mm. you know, obtain data to then extrapolate into uh, what we understand as the past and, and fill in those voids and answer those questions? Or are we starting from the standpoint of dogma to, you know, use, you know, a, as a way to pattern the past. So, you yeah, know, validate to validate anything that, that we have. find, you know, um, you know, because biblical archaeology has often been the same way where same it is, you know, a lot of biblical archaeology, which I think a lot of biblical archaeology is a lot better now. Um, 
Although I think the best biblical archaeology is just archaeology that happens to be about things that coincide with the Bible, you know, yeah. uh, but um, biblical archaeology has often been rife with the same issue where uh, there is the dogma of the Bible and the presupposition that the Bible must therefore must be true. And yep. anything that we find that contradicts must not be about the Bible. It must be wrong. You know, it, it, it you know, it either we can either sort of change our position of it, change our interpretation to make it fit, or it's simply something else and it doesn't disprove it. It's just something different. Yeah. You know, yeah. because the Bible must be true, just like those ancient historical you know, Chinese documents. They must be completely true and literal. You know, and therefore and I think a lot of people when we're talking about, you know, historiographic or supposed historiographic like sources of truth. Yeah. I think a lot of people think about like, oh, well, they think about religion, right? They think about like the Bible, yeah. right? But in your campaign settings in your campaigns it doesn't have to be based on religion it could be like the origin of the state can you imagine an entire long-term campaign where the characters find archaeological evidence that the ruling class is illegitimate yeah and this book or this text because uh, not everything is a book right um, the the source of truth supposed truth that they have is incorrect yeah like that could be an interesting adventure on its own like at a really high level you could do that you could also do things like hey your adventure starts at an archaeological site with the discovery of this three thousand year old sword right and but maybe there's an inscription of... on that sword that completely exactly. disproves the right maybe maybe like your monarchy rules under the presupposition of divine right they have a divine right to rule and that inscription on the blade clearly states otherwise, or perhaps it states that a completely different lineage has that right. Right. Exactly. Right. Like, you know, there's the Chinese mandate of heaven yeah. as an example, yeah. but you could, you could imagine if there were like, like the Romulus and Remus sort of thing. Right. Mm, um, the fun stuff. Yeah. It's not, it's not called, it's called Rome, not Reem. Right. Um, <laughs> imagine if like, <laughs> ah, the Remers the sibling, are coming. The Remers. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if one of the like founders of this kingdom, this dynasty, was murdered and their body supposedly destroyed and there was no proof of it at all, right? Or maybe there were a pair of siblings and we didn't know that there were siblings at all and it was just a single child who became the leader mm -hmm. of this dynasty. And now we have a, a whole other lineage Right. Maybe a single object like this sword is the only piece of evidence. And now the party has essentially this nation breaking. At least nation breaking from the sense of like national identity, this nation breaking piece of evidence. And they're on the run. Yeah. Uh, that could be really cool. Yeah. I mean, you could also take things like, you know, there are and to be fair, I'm not the most well versed in this particular instance, but there are. There's a lot of archaeology done like in parts of Europe, like East Europe, um, where a bunch of different ethnic groups try to basically claim ethnic superiority or mm. or they try to claim that they're the first people there. That they're not necessarily maybe superior, 
but they have the original right to this area. You know, and so everything that they do tries everything they find, they try to twist or interpret into evidence uh, for their dogma. Dogma does not have to be religious in nature. It can be completely secular. It can be completely. Oh, of course, it can be completely based in your understanding of your ethnicity or of your heritage. You know, things like that. There was archaeology done um, that was, I, I, if I remember correctly, of like um, the American South and certain things. You know, people have tried to use different evidence to say that, mm, you know, enslaved people didn't have it so bad, you know, oh, you God, know, yeah. stuff like that, uh, which is nonsense. Uh, their their lives were horrible. And even for those who for whom it may not have been quite as bad as others, it was still horrible. And they certainly didn't choose that life, you know. Uh, and so. Yeah, you can have so many different. Everyone uses archaeology to understand it's just what you're trying to understand that is the question and you can use that i think in storytelling to such a great effect um to create plot twists like there could be an idea of like what if you have a bunch of ethnic groups on a large landmass, and they all claim that they're the originals that they're the mm -hmm. the indigenous population and maybe there is an archaeological um, thing that proves that one particular one is uh, the the truly indigenous people of the, of the island and they have the right to this. But the, it was found in the territory of a non-indigenous ethnic group. And so they're trying to hide it. Or maybe you find out that, in fact, none of them are original, that they are all from the same origin that colonized the land and completely wiped out the indigenous people. You know, so or things what you're like saying that. is archaeology is a great way to tell stories. Such a great way, which, you know, not not to go back to Bay Bad Count with everything that we talk about. But, you know, we man manifest, 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 manifest. Uh, we put in uh, hopefully an event for Big Bad Con where uh, Emma, yourself and I will be doing a workshop as three archaeologists with like 10 people. Uh, where we'll work with them to create uh, a culture or a society from the ground up through archaeological mm -hmm. lenses uh, that makes sense, that fulfill those pillars of what a culture is. Uh, and I'm really excited for that. I hope that be, I you hope know, that gets we, approved and I hope it becomes a recurring thing. I think we should do that as an episode of the podcast. That would be good. I would like that a lot. I think we should like pilot that. Honestly, we could. Uh... We could do that as one of the episodes of this season. That could be yeah, really interesting. I'd be down. We should do that. We'll set a template and, and we'll do the whole th the whole exercise as an episode of the podcast. That'd be really fun. Yeah, I think that'd be really fun. Um, we should write that down. Can you write that down? Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> write that down. Producer, wait, that's me. Um, we will do that as an episode of the podcast. That'd be really fun. Yeah. Um, but I always think from an archaeological perspective, like we've talked about how you can make that the focal point of a story that you're being, that you're telling. Um, but there are other ways to kind of interact with archaeology for your game design. And that's just like looking at material culture and looking at things that are like really interesting. Um, when I think about like East Asian archaeology, I think about like the most recent like Legend of Zelda games 
like Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. In Breath of the Wild, they relied really heavily on middle Jomon pottery. Um, and I'll pull some up on the screen for uh, our patrons who are watching the, uh, the video. Um, but if you're an audio listener, uh, you can uh, just search uh, middle as in like the middle and then Jomon as in J-O-M-O-N and then pottery. Uh, middle Jomon pottery is beautiful. It's puzzling from like a, a manufacturer perspective, but it's also like full of symbolism that we may never truly understand. But in Breath of the Wild, they used Jomon, specifically Middle Jomon archaeology, as like one of their core aesthetic elements in the game. And so the shrines in Breath of the Wild are essentially Middle Jomon pots turned upside down. Um, in Tears of the Kingdom, they did something a little bit different. What they did was they went to the early Chinese Bronze Age and so the late Neolithic for their inspiration for all of this Zonai technology. So they have like, they took archaeological inspirations from a single time period instead of making this weird sort of like time spanning aesthetic. They picked one point in mm -hmm. history and they said that will be our aesthetic. And then they built a completely original world around it. Which I am all for because, you know, we've talked about it a lot on the podcast and how it's like, ah, yes, I want to make this fantasy Japan or this fantasy China or this any Asian country mm -hmm. or any country in yeah. general. Yeah. But when you say when, when somebody says fantasy China, be like, what period? Yeah. Where? Where? Like our home game is based on like a couple of hundred years in China's history. And that's it. Like there are there are no terracotta warriors. There are there. There's no boxer rebellion. None of that is in my fantasy China. And that's what I like to see in my world building. I like to see really focused and intentional world building. Um, and that's where archaeology can, you know, serve as a, a point of inspiration. Um, one that I've always wanted to use, and it was actually really funny because we were talking about Seventh Sea Katai. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I was originally supposed to be on that project. And as and I've, ta I've told this story a lot on the podcast, but I'll be real brief about it. It was going to be my first big gig, and they just didn't have the budget, and I didn't get to work on it. But I had already started doing some ideating, and I created this culture uh, and around you know ceramics, uh, specifically inspired by the Longshan culture in China, but like three thousand BCE, yeah. and uh, they make this beautiful pottery. Um, L O N G S H A N. Uh, if you search Longshan culture pottery, they make these eggshell pots. That's what the archaeologists call eggshell pottery, and they are these ceramic vessels that are as thin as eggshells. How do you make that? And I've always been fascinated by Longshan pottery. It is really really cool stuff um and i've always wanted to put that into a fantasy world but i haven't found the opportunity yet because it i didn't want it to kind of feel like this one-off thing i wanted to build it into the identity of the entire culture um but that's kind of like my 
roundabout way of saying, hey, you know, our first point about archaeology and storytelling is you can use it to uh, really communicate how people think, right? You said dogma, right? Mm-hmm. Two, it could be you can use archaeology as a source of inspiration for the visual identity mm-hmm. of your culture. Um, the third one is just you can go the campy route and you can go and just say, hey, our entire story is going to be based on we're going to do like an Indiana Jones thing or we're going to do the relic. Have you seen the relic? Uh, I, You know, we're going to add it to the so short list of things so I've never short seen. List. Okay, so the uh, relic is a, 1997. I was a year old. It's a great movie. Great movie about an anthropologist at the Chicago Field Museum who basically um, sends home a, a a relic. Um, and on the night of this like big Kella, mm-hmm. this thing turns into this fucking chimera of a monster that just starts killing people. It is a really cool movie. It is it is nowhere in the realm of like this should win an Oscar. This is like a masterpiece of storytelling. But it's just a fun movie. It's just a fun movie. <laughs> I love it. And what I a creature. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the creature. It looks now. cool. Like the yeah, creature, cool. if you look it up online, uh, it looks really neat. Um, mm. But I, I love the relic as like a really campy way of telling a horror story and grounding it in like hey archaeology here's what happens um also don't take artifacts from other countries um i love the uh i unironically also love like the mummy like the brendan fraser movies love them absolutely love them god i love the mummy. Um, they're so good um and i i love telling those stories in uh delta green like i'm either making characters that are like military dudes or they're archaeologists or anthropologists. <laughs> and they're just here to just be like, I was brought in because they found these artifacts and I'm the expert on it. Or my cover is that of an archaeology professor at this university. Um, but I'm also this secret agent. Yeah, you know, I was thinking like, you know, for a lot of tabletop role-playing games, you know, a, a huge part is, ah, the the dungeon, you know, the yeah, idea the that you're going to do a dungeon crawl or you're going to go into the ruins of a place. And that's not just necessarily for the, uh, you know, the and dragons game, you know, with the dungeons. But like, any, you know, there are plenty of games that do this and it is an opportunity for you as the GM or and as a world builder to not just have a cool set piece or have a cool adventure, but to make your players feel like they're stepping into the lives of someone long ago, that you're allowing yeah. them to, to step into a fragment of the past, you know, that they're stepping into a world that they are able to touch, that they're able to be in, but that they don't fully understand. Um, and yeah, that's a lot of work. Of course it is. Um, But if you are building that dungeon from the ground up with that understanding or with that framework, you know, you can you can put a lot of magic into the feeling of that that place. By thinking about it archaeologically, you know, it is not just rooms with creatures in it or with treasure, but with artifacts, with 
pictographs with drawings and uh, writing and all sorts of clues that, you know, are just a part of the greater mystery of what used to be. And think of uh, each room and the artifacts that are in it as the NPCs that are going to provide more context to the party. Yeah, people dug out that that room (laughs) for a reason. What is that reason? It wasn't just to put some treasure in there. Well, historically, that is kind of true. They did kind of do that sometimes. (laughs) But they didn't put that treasure in there for you to pick up. Yes. Why is that shit there? Yes. You know, God, I was just oh, I just thought of um, an awful archaeology movie. Yeah. God, have you seen the pyramid? No, I have not. It's a it's a battery. Oh, it's oh, it's so bad. It's a battery. Pyramid is it's a found footage horror movie about an archaeological team that discovers a three sided pyramid in Egypt. The horror and (laughs) they're excavating it using what is essentially like a Mars rover. With what funding? Anyways, um, (laughs) they send the rover into this pyramid and it goes offline. So naturally, they'll be like, this thing's expensive. We have to go in and get it. And they get trapped in the pyramid. I remember this because they have like the the main creatures like Anubis, right? Yeah, the big creatures like Anubis. And they're getting I remember these people are getting like killed off by fucking like mummified cats that are killing them. And then, yeah, they, they encounter like Anubis at the end. It's this movie. Listen, is so fucking bad. I'm not going to lie. If you, if you cannot punch the lights out of a mummified cat, you, you do probably deserve to die. Ooh, right. Like if you die to a mummified cat, you fucked up. Right? Yeah. Like a yeah, mummified house cat. It's this big. I don't wish listen. I I don't I don't wish violence on animals. <laughs> okay. But I ain't dying to a mummified cat. Now if there were fifteen of them, I'm fucked. Yeah, and it's dark and you can't see. So neither can they. they're supernatural yeah so am i it's pride month like who gives a shit like you know like i guess i guess i don't know what if you if you want to cringe you don't even need to be an archaeologist to know that the the pyramid is bad the other thing and this is where i think wait the tagline is you only enter once what yo yeah. yo yo <laughs> it's bad the other <laughs> Another piece of like archaeology fiction that I've <laughs> really hated, yeah, is uh, a British TV show oh, called Bone Kickers. Bone Kickers. It's called Bone Kickers. Man, you're really keyed into a lot of uh, archaeological entertainment that I am not even aware of. Yeah, so Bone Kickers is like this drama about this u- this university archaeology department, and I kid you fucking not, like I don't think I've ever kicked a bone. This- the series starts with them in like this dig and they're all they're wearing like fucking like leather jackets and they're walking around. Oh, it's too find, hot for that. Like, 
It's too they hot. They find these like ancient coins and they're grabbing shit without gloves. They're not thinking it. They tried to make they tried to make archaeology sexy and it was it's so bad. So bad. Like I archaeology that show is awful. It archaeology is so not sexy that terms like not. that terms like field hot are a thing. Like uh, <laughs> archaeology is not a sexy profession. It is not a sexy profession. Um, and this show, Bone Kickers, tried to make it like that. And I fucking hated it. Any any fucking field in which it. you're you spend most of your year begging for grants. is not a sexy profession. It's not a sexy profession. And look, like uh, a lot of people, when they think of archaeology, they just think of Indiana Jones and they think of, you know, Tomb Raider. And I'm not one to say, hey, you can't have your fun. Because I think it would be awesome to have a a globe trotting adventure where you're punching Nazis in the face, like down, right? Yeah. Um, it's not archaeology, but it is an a thriller, an action adventure that involves the past. It involves archaeological artifacts. Do you but it's know archaeology? Do you know what would be a cool? I don't know if it, I don't know if it'd be okay. a cool show. But a cool like TTRPG thing is okay. if you play as a society of I would like to think ethical like good archaeologists. But you're but you're but you're, of, but you're like you're yeah, but you're a little action figure too. Because okay. this is set during like the 1930s and 40s, where it's no it's it's sort of like monuments men, but you're like archaeologists. That are going up against okay. like the the occult archaeology Nazi faction. Oh, like like the uh, like the like the Thule Society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's you, you versus the Thule, the Thule Society. Yeah, yeah. I that would be cool. That'd be fun. That would that would be fun. You know, you could do that. You could technically do that with Delta Green. A hundred percent do that with Delta Green. Sure. So for context, for for context to the our, our listeners or, or viewers. Um, the Thule Society was a German like occultist group um, that was formed after the First World War. And they were later like, I think they were like reorganized under like the Nazi party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they became this like eugenics research society. And there was a lot of like fiction about not like Nazi mystics trying to find like, you know, the... Uh, ways for Hitler to win the war. Uh, the Thule Society was also uh, featured in like Hellboy and Hellboy's origin um, and how like they tried to summon a demon and the Americans stopped them, but then Hellboy came through. That's like the Thule Society. Yeah, but I, in real life, they they created a lot of the dogma that then the Nazi party used and tried to then do archaeological excavations to prove their dogma. Exactly. It's yes. what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. It's how it's how archaeology and the practice of archaeology and the um, the label of like science is used to reinforce hate. Yeah. Um, but I think that would be a cool. I, I think that would be a cool. Um, God. No, yeah, you can have like upset. some. You can have like. I'm getting secret- upset about a thing that 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 we wrote that was canceled. Um, oh. God damn. Well, whatever. I, I had this idea. Well, I mean, you know about this, the, the Bureau of Paranatural Survey that, that I wrote. 
um, for like Wicked Congregation, mm-hmm. you could do an entire series that that spans time, like spans like a hundred years of history. Oh, maybe that's how people, it starts. Yeah, that's how it starts. And you have this society, and like every episode is like a different decade, and you have different agents, or Good you stuff. maybe have like a single character. The GM who is getting older, this NPC is getting older through time, right? And you have all these new agents who are chasing after this, like, other fictional, like, Thule society, right? And you could have, you could either use major conflicts, you could have a World War II episode where they're actually going up against the Thule society, or the Thule society are puppets for this actual, like, organization, right? Yeah. Um, And you could literally have agents going up against it. That, That would be fun. Man, the Thule Society. What a wild... You know, the Thule Society was wild. That's easy to say. But somehow, the legacy of the Thule Society, for me, feels even wilder because people then took the... Well, because people took the idea of the Thule Society and, like, a lot of Nazi occultism. Basically, just even though the Thule Society no longer existed, conspiracy theorists fucking loved it. And just oh, same, went same with like Rasputin. Yeah, just weird shit, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, if people are looking into like, uh, if you think about like Indiana Jones, like the 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 Ark of the Covenant, yeah, like Thule Society. The shit, Thule Society right? were a bunch of incel nerds. They yeah. were not cool, you know. <laughs> I, I I think Thule Society was also in a TTRPG Hunter. I think there's a faction that's inspired oh, okay. by the Thule Society in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would love to do a like sort of like a action adventure TTRPG where you're just like going around the world fighting this evil occult organization. Um, maybe you're doing the whole Federal Bureau of Control thing where you're going after artifacts, kind of like Warehouse 13. Yeah. Did you ever watch Warehouse 13? Nope. Um, what? I think you would love Warehouse 13. Probably um it's it's a cool show uh i they filmed it i believe in canada maybe in toronto i just checked and they did film it in toronto um but it is about these uh secret service agents who get assigned to warehouse 13 where they basically have to retrieve missing artifacts and it was really neat Super, super cool. Um, but I would love to do, like, I don't want to do the whole, like, I, I love the idea of Delta Green, but I don't care about Lovecraft. I just like the idea of a secret government agency that, you know, works, you know, ind- independent and even at odds uh, with the government to basically save the world. You know, I'm surprised. Maybe there is, and I just don't know about it, to be fair. But I'm surprised that there isn't a like direct translation like SCP TTRPG. Like it's like like, there is is there. Oh, yeah, yeah, there is. Um, I'm so keyed into the industry. Yeah, there there is literally an SCP TTRPG. It's on Drive RPG. What the fuck? SCP. Yeah, it's called SCP the Tabletop RPG. Well, all right. By 26 Letter Publishing. Um. And uh, take the role of members of the foundation to help secure, contain, and protect various anomalies. Um, you do that. There's also another one called um, the Esoterrorists. 
um, by Pelgrane Press. Um, the Esoterrorist is kind of similar. Your elite investigators combating plots of the Esoterrorist, the loose affiliation of occult terrorists intent on tearing the fabric of the world. Um, and it uses gumshoe, so it's very uh, investigative. Mm-hmm. It's a platinum bestseller on drive through uh, Always wanted to play that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of like, also like you can just take, uh, you could just use Delta Green as well, or like Thulu Deep Green, which is like a rules light hack of Delta Green. Yeah, I love... But yeah, there's an SCP TTRPG. Listen, you learn... <laughs> You learn something new every day. Uh, no dice, no problem. You learn a lot. Mostly me. I don't know about the audience, but <laughs> mostly me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I Yeah, I love SCP. I love anything sort of weird, occult, eldritch, you know, any of that kind of like occult horror, uh, yeah. cosmic horror, anything like that. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. There Not so is, much that uh, I knew that the SCP TTRPG existed. Yeah, fake um, fan. Fake fan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see if there are others because I, I believe that there are other um, TTRPGs that have like occult investigators. Um, I mean, there's the Yellow King RPG, which is also Pelgrim Press, which I worked on. Um, there's also, I mean, there's all the Cthulhu ones, but I guess we're we're trying to pick something that's not Lovecraft, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a ton, but I, you know, we we talk about how we we could do like a, a post-apocalyptic survival RPG. Talk about this archaeology and this uh, combating the, like the Thule Society of our two big grand ideas that we've discussed and haven't followed through with on No Dice No Problem. Which one do you like the most? What are my options again? So we have the uh, our original thought about doing like uh, a zombie survival series that starts at a convention, <laughs> or this globe globe trotting time spanning scholars fight against like this evil occult organization. Uh, zombie apocalypse. Zombie apocalypse. Yep. Zombie survival start like each episode. The do you think it would be episodic, wherein that each episode the outbreak advances? That could be or interesting. Is each or is each very short season different stages of the outbreak? I think I would rather see short seasons of self-contained stories. Mm. Uh, or not that's not maybe that's not right we're, we're, we're saying that like one short season that tells a story set sometime during the zombie apocalypse then but it's a shared world with yeah. each season so like maybe one is set in like uh new york city and it's when everything's going fucking haywire right at the beginning but then we go to like the next season is like rural kentucky you know and we're we're 11 months deep and it's like the middle of winter yeah. You know, and supplies, supplies, yeah. supplies have run out. Yeah. And maybe you're playing as someone who is, you know, you're running out of food. It's winter and you have to make the dangerous trek back into the city to get supplies that you're running that you're running out of and make it yeah. back. Right. Like that, like 
shorter contained stories of individual yeah. like like units uh families or a certain pairs of survivors whatever i don't care yeah yeah i like that and maybe it could start off with archaeology <laughs> yeah um yeah i i still really want to do that but i've also just really wanted to tell a story about like occult investigators always wanted to do that um one day maybe we'll do a live show at big bad con love it like my my google home just went off um <laughs> but that said we have uh, a couple of questions from cat uh just like for no dice no problem um first what is on our uh creative endeavors for me cat asked like how are my campaign setting slash travel guides coming along for the home game? They are coming along. I am very burnt out, but I am working on them. Uh, they, I'm going to release some previews for, for my patrons, for my, my other Patreon, um, within the week. Uh, I am very excited about that. And Kat had also asked, uh, were, were there any fun stories from the table? about our uh our, our home game regarding the lore we blew up i definitely place. gave your character a, a, a pass <laughs> in our last game yeah your character should have died I, I liked your character listen i was ready i was ready i, we spent, I embraced we spent most of that session with the party falling from the sky trying to figure out how to not die yeah and uh you know I just embraced it. I had no spells that would have been applicable. Ain't nobody going to catch me like you're, I'm falling at terminal velocity. If anyone catches me, it's we're all done. We're both dying. You invoked science to, to say I should be dead. I should be no. dead. There should not even I be turns. The rate of falling is too fast. If I don't have immediately something to do, boom, I'm dead. Boom, you're dead. Yeah, um, that was that was a fun session. I'm looking forward to our next one. Whenever uh, we get to play it, whenever we get to play it, no, we'll, we'll it will uh, believe we have to believe. Happen. We're back on track. We're back on track. We we didn't play for like a month because of like cancellations yeah. and stuff, uh, but we're back on track. Cat uh, had a question for you: How your mini painting was going? Uh, is it going? Okay, so uh, it is going. It's actually going faster than usual because usual is nothing at all yeah so it's, it's progress um, so it's so we're doing good i have been painting so in the variety of games workshop franchises within warhammer 40k there is a game called necromunda necromunda is a giant hive city in uh the world uh, or the universe of warhammer hive cities are places filled with trillions of people like if you took a thousand New York cities and place them all as layers on top of like each these, other. They're like these dystopians. They are, they are shit whole places to live yeah. unless you are incredibly rich and live at the very tops of spires away from the smog and, and grossness. Um, it is a terrible place. Uh, but in the underbelly in the underhive um, are these like houses of criminal organizations uh, that a vie for control of the undercity. And so I 
don't care about that. I mean, it's cool and I would like to play the game. <laughs> uh, I actually bought the core set uh, for oh, you it. like the minis. I like the minis. The minis are very cool. Um, I actually bought the core set that is normally 200 bucks for like Damn. 80. Because of you just get all the, the best deals at miniature market miniature market. Shout out to you if you want to sponsor us. Me specifically, I live next to you. I love you they so much. They have this like. I just hear it from you. Yeah. They just have this ding and is it the ding it's, and dent. It's a dent and ding section, baby. Dent and ding. There's like a box gets damaged. Boom. 60% off. Yeah. And the reason it's sustainable for them is because they're the distributor. A lot of yeah. a lot of FLGSs are not. Um, they are not warehouses. They do not have the capacity to have huge volumes of, of stuff. Uh, a lot of what you see is what you get. And they might have a few extra in the back, you know, uh, but for miniature market, they are a massive online retail presence and they have giant warehouses. And so they have the capacity of, oh, this thing got dropped by a part timer in the warehouse. We're going to slap a 60. Oh, well. We're going to slap a 60 percent off uh, sticker on it and send it to the retail store and they'll just sell it on the dent and ding. Bada bing, bada Drew boom. Kwan will buy it. And I fucking will. Or and I love how you bought the darkest dungeon board game. Two parts of probably the same set. Okay. Story. So, so we, okay, we'll get back to the Necromunda in just a second. But, <laughs> yes. um, Darkest Dungeon, love that video game. Such a good game. Fuck that game. Just fuck that. Yes, also fuck <laughs> that game. Um, but what a great, what a great video game. What a great art style. What a great vibe. I, I'm all about that. Um, sure. Yeah. And, uh, they, you know, I think a couple years ago started the Kickstarter for the game, I believe. Uh, I think it was Kickstarted, but anyway, it was Kickstarted and they ran into money issues yeah. in the pandemic. Mm, don't we all? Um, yeah. But they finally came out with like the full game in a that you can buy at a retail store. And this shit's expensive. It's so expensive because it's like one of those boxes that has multiple giant, giant boxes. It's like three gloomhaven boxes if you know if you know you know <laughs> yeah it's huge. giant boxes that are so heavy with like a hundred miniatures in in a box you know and uh when it first released i saw in the denton ding the miniatures box that was normally like two hundred dollars and it was like uh 60 70 percent off they're they're nice minis they're they're nice they are minis. very nice minis especially for minis that you don't have to assemble uh they are pre-assembled they are very nice looking they're yeah. so good uh just google that shit it's darkest dungeon uh board game or whatever um so i got that i'll pull, I'll pull it up i got that then later i got the blood court expansion set for uh that was also like 70% off that was normally like 80 bucks I don't know something like that and then the other day a couple weeks ago I see on the Denton Ding finally there's the main game with all of like the US, rules you, you you assembled the full game on a discount uh-huh so what would have been and that's that's another $200 and that one was yeah. 80% off 80% off God. a $200 box was 40 bucks. Did I do the math right? Yes, I did. Of course I did. I'm Asian. Um, $40. 
So in total, I basically <sighs> bought five hundred dollars worth of a board game for like a hundred and sixty dollars max. Maybe, yeah, maybe one, maybe, maybe two hundred. I don't remember exactly. Good deal. Nice minis that you can use even if you don't play the game. Listen, yeah, it pays not well, but it pays to live in St. Louis. Yeah, <laughs> I will. Knowing you're going to be at Big Bad Con, maybe I'll have to send you some money to watch out for some things for me. Listen, put that stuff on their website. They, no, no, you got it. You got to walk in. Oh, you got to well, go. You gotta one of go. the reasons too. sometimes the Denton Ding section has yeah. games that are perfectly OK. They're perfectly fine. Of course, it's just the box. It's cosmetic. Yeah, no, no, no. Oh, even the box is perfect. And I asked oh. about that because I bought I bought the um Curse City, the GW Curse City. Yeah, yeah. I that, paid full price for yeah, that. It was perfect for me. It was perfect. And it was like a hundred bucks. Um, But I asked them actually because there was nothing wrong with the box. It had neither been dented nor dinged, dinged. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, sometimes what happens is other FLGSs across the nation go under. They have to liquidate. And because miniature market has the excess capital, they'll just snatch all the liquidated supplies and then sell it for cheap. In clearance. Damn. Yeah, because they have such a little little FLGS empire set up here in St. Louis. <laughs> I wish that. Hey, I wish there was a if we were in the same city, I'd be playing all of these miniature games. Yes, 100 percent. Problem is, there is just no community here for me. Yeah, it's why I play so much Flesh and Blood because there's a community here and they're all super awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, a war gaming community in Toronto. I'm just like not into. That. I, I understand. I am not either. Yeah, I, I yeah. play these what? games exclusively with local friends. I do not. I don't go out there. Yeah, to... I I have one friend who's into minis. Yeah, uh, actually, no, two friends, but like one lives very far and the other is is, is close, but very busy on the house hunt right now yeah i understand and designing his own game yeah um one that i've been very curious about is uh star wars shatterpoint my friend just got all that i, I think know, he's in the I middle know. of assembling it we're gonna play it when he's done oh god if you ever see that on discount i'll i'll i'll, I'll buy it for me god. and then if i see the second yeah. one i'll let you know yeah i know yeah. i know that's how it works <laughs> but go back to necromunda go back oh to necromunda. yes there are so painting progress yes there are a particular uh, uh, unit called the Cawdor Ridge Walkers. Cawdor is C A W D O R, yep. and then it's Ridge yep. Walkers. There are these walkers. little two legged uh mounts, like mechanical. Oh, yeah, I've mounts seen those before with these guys that have like grenades attached to the end On of spears, <laughs> you know, it's and like Mad Max. It's like Mad Max, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with like flails that are just like a buzzsaw strapped to a chain, you know. Uh, and I love their vibe, but the city uh, that is the focus of my campaign right now uh, that I run uh, right. is very much sort of a, a Necromunda dystopian city or like Piltover and Zahn with League of Legends. It, it's just it's just you love Arcane. God, I love Arcane. Listen, we could have a whole. So, so a whole you're whole using these minis in your home game. Yeah, that's the idea. Is That's because cool. uh, there is like this resource. This is this 
Listen, when I was building this setting and building this city, I had such such cool ideas. Like there was this drug that's like are basically like raw, uh, unfiltered arcane substance called Spark, right. and it's orange, and it's all cool. And then I watched Arcane. I was like, God, they have Shimmer. Fuck. It's like the same shit. Um, but the idea yeah, okay. is that people are figuring out how to use this as a power source, and so they have these like really rough. J- shitty mechs and stuff that they have put together you know oh that's awesome god but anyways i'm in the middle of painting those i want to see progress you have to share progress with the patrons they look pretty good future yeah i I will i i will when you share painting progress i will share painting progress because i i've started a new painting project let me get it hi guys very delicate it's just you and me now. Okay. Hello. Oh, no, okay, here back. we go. <laughs> Never mind. It is one of the original GW Nazgul. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's it's metal uh, from from my teen years. Uh, I assembled it very poorly, so I've been using uh, putty to, to fill, in, fill in a lot of the gaps. <laughs> um, and then I'm just gonna like completely like prime it once, once like start from scratch. Yeah. I've always been curious as to what the Middle Earth gameplay is like. It's cool. It's cool. It's the it's the one that I played when I was younger. Yeah. I think the rules have changed, but sure. Um, it's cool. The uh, scale is actually the mini scale is different uh, compared to forty k. Mm. Um, I like the uh, the scale for forty k uh, over over this one. I've been curious about so many uh, mini war games. One that I've been um, really interested in is called guild ball i believe it's guild out of circulation ball? though yeah it's kind of like uh it's like fantasy soccer um kind of like blood bowl but guild ball the the rules seem a little bit better than blood bowl another game that i'm also curious about um i've heard very good things about guild ball i've also heard great things about the um game of thrones the song of ice and fire uh game I've heard really good things about it. They play it at the store that I play Flesh and Blood at. Uh, I like how it has movement trays that you use um, for your minis. Mm. That one looks cool. But I don't think I would get into a big, large-scale game. I think I would only stick to skirmish games, like Kill Team or infinity yeah i would play infinity but i don't know anybody who plays infinity oh i got i got tons of infinity miniatures i (laughs) i have so many miniatures at this point yeah you you have a lot you have a lot um Um, but uh so i look forward to seeing progress on your uh on your necromunda minis because i don't think i've ever seen much of your painting uh yeah i i i would like to think i'm a I'm a decent painter. It just takes a long time. And I'm still slow as fuck. I'm still figuring out certain things like um, how to really like do good highlighting uh, and things like that, or how to do like lighting effects. Like, yeah, I like to try some of that out. Um, of course, I don't have an airbrush, so I can't do that. I'd have to hand paint it, um, which is yeah, scary. I think an airbrush would change everything. I would love yeah. to have an airbrush. You know, something that I've been really actually like consciously trying to work through is just like the anxiety of fucking up. And what I mean by that's just, over like, you just, just, you're over just yeah, I'm just I'm starting to embrace this idea of like, mm, fuck it. You just paint over that shit. If you don't like it, paint over it. If you really don't like it, 
dunk it in a bucket of like turpentine or whatever and just get rid just yeah. just get the paint off restart it's easy i just run with it i i tried out a color scheme for the skeletons in kurt city um the paint jobs i think were fantastic that i did but i'm not a huge fan of the color scheme but i'm like you know what i'm just gonna roll with it and i just used that color yeah. scheme and half the, the time day. hitting it with a wash fixes it anyways yeah, I, I tried to make their armor this like fantasy blue color and it just looks like they're wearing blue blue armor. I'm not super, super into it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I stuck with it. Um, last question that Cad had, and it was, uh, I'm not going to say an easy one. Uh, what is your favorite museum or museum that you've always wanted to visit it? Visited. To visit. The historic Daniel Boone home. Absolutely um, fucking not. <laughs> i do love that for, place for though me? listen we do listen we have this it sounds Daniel like Boone. you do good we stuff do good there. work there we do really yeah. good work there but not my favorite my the one i've oh i have an answer to both so the one i've always wanted to visit is the royal Tyrell museum it's in uh, of paleontology it's a oh, paleontology yeah. museum in alberta um in drumheller i the company that i work for is based out of edmonton so i can fly out on like like a weekend to edmonton and then just like not use vacation time and just work at the office then the off time on the weekend go to Drumheller yeah and visit the museum uh on the list of things to do this year um i have always wanted to go to the terrell museum my favorite museum that i have visited is one that i i would be very surprised if a member of our audience has been there um it is a small regional museum in Hangzhou, China. Um, it is called the Kuahuqiao Museum, the Kuahuqiao site. Um, so the Kuahuqiao site is an archaeological site that has the world's oldest dugout canoe. It's 8,000 years old. It's an old canoe. And that's, that's a really old canoe. And what's really cool about it is that the... Um, the archaeological site is underwater because the water level in the area was rising after they discovered the mm -hmm. uh, the site and they built this bunker around it. So when you actually go into the museum, the museum itself kind of like sticks out onto this lake. When you're entering the museum, you walk down this long ramp, effectively underwater to this beautifully preserved site. And the canoe itself is in this glass sealed chamber and when i went i had the opportunity to go in the chamber and be in the room and breathe the same air <laughs> that circulates around the canoe and it was so cool so cool um but yeah that that's mine um so i want to go and visit the terrell museum but uh my favorite one that i have visited is the kwahuchow site museum because it was just so unique um hmm i think for myself okay my oof. my favorite museum ever probably has it has to be like the national archaeological museum in athens or, oh yeah, or, or perhaps the, like Acropolis. the Acropolis Museum. I think it's two different ones. I think there's the Acropolis Museum, yeah, then there's, there's the two. National Archaeological Museum, and I, I went to both when I was there. I went there on like my last day 
in in, the, in Greece. The National Archaeology Museum is where the Antikythera machine is. Yes, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, I went there. Um, I will say one of the coolest things. I believe it was the Acropolis Museum. One of the coolest things, you know, Athens as a city is multiple layers of the city. There is ruins directly underneath so many of the buildings there. And what's cool mm -hmm. about the Acropolis Museum is that as you're walking up to it, there are these massive glass panes that you can walk over. And if you look straight down, it's a bit dizzying. But if you look straight down, you are looking directly at like ruins underneath the museum that they've excavated and have lit up so that you can look directly at life as it kind of was below you. You know, the ruins of it. And that's super yeah. cool. Um, as uh, in terms of like museums that I would like to go see, I'd really like to go to that Dick Museum in Iceland. In Iceland, oh the that's yeah, a phallological the, museum. The, the the penis museum. Yeah, it's got like they've got like the the um the penis bone from the walrus. God, what's it called? Don't bother me. In the middle of the night, I'm just gonna scream out the word. <laughs> uh, I just think it's a very funny museum. Yeah, and I'd like to Have go you see it. I feel like you'd also like the Imperial War Museum in London. Probably. Yeah. I think you I think you'd um You know me, I love imperialism and war. Yep. The Canadian War Museum where Ross Rifles is currently on display. Um <laughs> is a cool museum. Just the tanks there. Yeah. Incredible. I would um, really like to go see uh you know, okay, so I was at I was in New Orleans for the Society for Historical Archaeology Conference way back in like 2017, 2016, I don't know, mm. something like that. And I unfortunately didn't have the chance to go see the the National like World War II museum that we have down there. I didn't know they had one. Yeah, there. it's a it's a big ass museum, but oh, I wasn't cool. I wasn't able to go. Did go to the Museum of Death, and that was probably a mistake for my psyche. Um, but oh. uh, that I don't think is a very good museum unless they sponsor us, in which case it is an incredible museum. It's a great museum, just like Chessex Dice. It's an interesting experience. It's just not, I don't think from a museum perspective, very good. Um, I went to um, a cool museum in London uh, called the, uh, the Hunterian Museum. It's, okay. it's in the Royal College of, College of Surgeons, and it's a museum of anatomical specimens. Mm. So it's got like skin. It's got like weird oddities. Really cool stuff. Really cool stuff. It's a very small museum. Sure. I went there with my mother. She was very disturbed. I can see that. I I think it's quite but cool. It's a, but it's a very cool museum. Um uh would would go again. Jeremy should go. <laughs> Jeremy's in the UK. Yeah. Uh I know that uh, I know like uh, jokes about dick museums aside. Uh a legitimate one that I really want to go to is I really want to go see like the Smithsonian. Oh, just, 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 cool. just baculum, baculum. That's the word. Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the word. Penis bone. <laughs> so confused. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> just remembered. Just because like. I remember when I was younger and, you know, you get asked the question, oh, what do you want to do when you grow up young person who hasn't even paid taxes yet? <laughs> uh, and okay. I was like, I want to be a curator at the Smithsonian Museum. Uh, oh, yeah. And I have never been. I have been to uh, every U.S. state north, south and east of Missouri. But I have somehow never been in Washington, D.C. 
and I would like to go very bad and see see all that. I've I've been to the Smithsonian and it's very cool. And yeah. they have I mean all of the other instit- there's like the, the Smithsonian is the 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 nat like the Museum of Natural History. Yeah, I know there. there's just like it's like a bunch. And then of there's shit. the aerospace one. Yeah. I, I've been to a I went to the Society for American Archaeology yeah. conference in Washington. I think in like 2016 um or 2018 yeah god i don't even remember i think it's 2016 SAA. um and yeah the essays and i uh went to the conference for like one day because i was like i'm in i'm in washington for a week <laughs> and uh i stayed in an airbnb super, our funding paid for it i ate at this barbecue place that was like every day mm-hmm. that was like near the airbnb and they had this wall of like hot ones hot sauces hell yeah bad poops um <laughs> but I used the time to go to the Smithsonian and all of the museums that I could when I was there. Yeah. For research. Um, for research. Super for cool. Sure. Super cool. Museum I wouldn't recommend. Royal Ontario Museum. Don't care about it anymore. <laughs> and I worked there. <laughs> um, I would recommend our St. Louis Art Museum. I love that place very much. The There is a... Na- what is it called? It's uh, the Houston Museum of Natural Science or Natural History. Um, incredible incredible museum of natural science they have yeah the houston museum of natural science i looked it up they have the most incredible trilobite display oh oh they have the king tut's tomb exhibition right now oh that was um that was here in st louis a while back it's it's like a big it's like a big traveling thing uh i guess it's gotten, gotten around to here now or gotten around to houston but yeah, that museum is probably one of the top, I'd say like the top three natural history museums I've ever seen. It was so cool. The flips, so uh, cool the downside is you have to step foot in Texas. But yeah, I did that during a long road trip down to Texas. I yeah. was there for like a month. Um, also went to the Johnson Space Center. Mm. Was the only adult there. It was all children and me. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is neat. Um, but anyways... Uh, we got, we got to wrap up this episode of no dice, no problem. I I'm really, I'm part of me is bummed that we only do this once a month. Uh, and I, I, I wonder if we should, maybe the direction of Asians represent goes at least partially into, uh, you know, this, this more casual format where we just talk about whatever the fuck we want, you know? Yeah. Cause you and I talked briefly about it and, uh, yeah. listen, audience, you sitting there with your bag of chips on the sofa, all dressed, chips. trying all disgusting. Um, Catch you with your nope, not don't list you with your shitty Canadian chips. sauce. Uh, <laughs> listen, right now, as it stands with no dice, no problem, you get you know two ish hours of content once a month. You know, but as we're looking to see what we can change, what we can improve upon, perhaps the answer is biweekly one hour episodes, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, or if you give us enough money where we can justify it two hour episodes that are more often, you know, but that requires supporting our Patreon, which you should do. (laughs) Yes. Patreon.com slash AZNS represent. Uh, You'll also see entire you'll you'll. It's the only place where you'll find video content, long form video of No Dice, No Problem. We'll post clips to YouTube occasionally. Uh, it's also where you'll see bloopers. 
Um, lots of they're them. all mine. They're both. I think they're both of us. They're mostly. Um, they're mostly me. <laughs> and the no dice, no problem video has an exclusive theme song performed by Drew. Yeah, it's so good. It's it's something, you know. So good. I I want to. I need to ask Agatha this. I want to get a a, a full a proper video or proper animated intro using that song. That would be funny. That would I be would funny. Love that. What if we film oh, something? I- during big biotech we find a place we just like okay, we, we just, just film we'll, a shit video yeah we'll 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 give it that sort of retro look <laughs> god i think that'd be fun we could storyboard it we'll, yeah, storyboard we'll figure it, it out um yeah. but but that is yeah, to say like if you are interested this is especially i think a moment for our uh patreon folks uh to have input and to help direct where this podcast goes if you are interested in um, us putting out content more often for No Dice No Problem, uh, this is your time to to say something, whether it be on the Patreon itself or, you know, in our patron general chat on our Discord, you know, where you can communicate how you feel about these th- things. If you want us to go to like hourly long episodes every other week or something like that, um, let us know. Let us yeah. know. Yeah. And uh, I, the thing that I think most is most freeing about no, no Dice No Problem is that it's not just TTRPG stuff. Like, we talk about it, but, like, you know, we talk about doing podcasts in the bathroom. We talk <laughs> about, right, we, we talk about movies. We talk about, you know, minis. We talk about TCGs. Uh, I just like that we have a show where we don't have to talk about just Asian stuff. Yeah. Right? Because... You know, it there is a lot of pressure on us when we do Asians represent, um, and it's nice to have something super chill and no dice, no problem, where we can just be our goofy ass selves. God, if only we could record that in person. God, alas, fun. you, you, you live in the United States of America. Listen, if we get a listen, hey, hey, audience, I'm talking hey. to you. If you give us enough money to justify me flying to Toronto every month to record in person every month and then flying right back we'll do it we we have talked about you coming to toronto we just make a whole bunch of content about your trip to toronto i think it'd be funny i think there's I, some I think, funny i think you'd love we, toronto yeah i think I'd i think you'd love it. toronto also our new mayor is chinese first chinese oh that's fun that's first fun chinese, olivia chow um shout out god i'm so glad she there the other um the other can one of the other candidates, Mark Saunders, used to be the, the chief of police. Yeah. Uh, disgraced chief of police sure. who resigned uh, after uh, victim blaming the LGBTQI plus community in Toronto. Interesting. For a serial killer. For a serial killer. Interesting. There was a serial killer that he denied existed, ended up being true, killed like almost 10 people or more. Uh, and then he bl- he victim blamed the entire community. Uh, he resigned, ran for mayor, and at one point during his campaign, he was like, other candidates, if you want me to beat Olivia Chow, drop out and let get your, get your, you know, get the people voting for you to vote for me instead so I can beat Olivia Chow. And this dude got like 8% of the vote. Olivia Chow got 37% of the vote. Like, fuck Mark Saunders. What a guy. Um, his answer to everything has always been more police, more police, more police. 
Um, and his whole campaign is basically just like, I'm here to beat Olivia Chow. And uh, God, I hate that guy. And there's this other dude, I won't even say his name, but he's like a conspiracy theorist, anti-lockdown, um, like Andrew Tate-like motherfucker. Mm, um, my favorite, my my go-to role yeah. model. Oh, and, what a guy, you know? Yeah, fuck that. I won't even say his name. Um, but there is one who has become sort of a cult figure. His name is Gong. Uh, Chinese candidate uh, who came to prominence because of the excessive marketing for his campaign. Nobody knew who he was. Literally, you'll see a gong sign. You'll see like 15 gong signs on the same block. Um, <laughs> for, for, yeah. I see, I see, I mean, immediately I Google it and I get a City News Everywhere um, article that says, Fringe Toronto mayoral candidate gong demands recount despite losing by over 266,000 votes. votes. <laughs> yeah, this dude put signs everywhere. Everywhere. There you'd be like you'd be like walking down the street and there would be like it's got giant three, gong, three four gong signs on the same in the same spot. I do not know but people like this guy like put signage they were commercials put it on public transit everywhere and the funniest thing is people went and looked into this dude's history turns out due to the legit criminal owed the new zealand government 60 million dollars and a property and pocket change i think I think the prevailing theory is that he's using his campaign to launder money. Cannot wait to learn more about the campaign finances for Gong. That's fucking funny. Um, but like over over almost 2,500 people voted for this dude. Yeah. Hey, um, listen. Hey, Gong. Listen. Hey, bud. Um, you can't say in your tweet, Toronto, thanks for incredible support in this election. If you had... Let me read that correctly. Zero, zero point four one percent of the vote. Weren't we trying to finish up the podcast? Yeah, we were. And I just no, no, talking no, about no, no, no. We don't need gong. to finish. But yeah, just like Toronto. Great place to be. You have a new mayor, Olivia Chow. Shout out. Awesome. Shout out to Olivia Chow. Uh, been a fixture in Toronto for as long as I can remember. Um but yeah, Drew, I'm glad that we did No Dice, No Problem. We were able to uh, get together and record an awesome episode um, for our audience. If you're still listening, let us know. Do you want shorter episodes bi-weekly? Uh, or do you want uh, you know just this monthly two-hour, roughly two-hour episode? Let us know. Um, we love hearing from you folks. Send us a DM on Discord, uh, Twitter. You can... Reach out to us individually on Twitter at Drew Kwan or at Daniel H. Kwan or at AZNS Represent. Or if you're in the Asians Represent Discord server, let us know there. Um, how would you like your No Dice, No Problem content? How would you like the Kwan Bros yeah. Yeah. content? Scrambled, over, over easy. <laughs> over easy, sunny, sunny side, side up. up. Yeah, what, what, what you want? Let, what you want? Let us know your, your preferences. You want, you want bacon we, or sausage? What's maybe up? Maybe we'll, we'll eventually go to a vote when we... Hey, Google, stop. God. Um, maybe we'll go to a vote when we get enough suggestions. 
and keeps going. Um, but that said, um, thank you folks for tuning into this episode of No Dice, No Problem. We're out. We're out. Peace. We're out. Peace. Get out of here. Go home. Design Doc started as a podcast about designing a role-playing game. Over the years, it's turned into so much more. It's a show about the challenges of burnout, making money from creative projects, and what goes into bringing a game to life. Come along with Hannah and Evan in a living documentation of the game design process. One review described it as the audio equivalent of taking a hike with a good friend. You can search for Design Doc on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.